I will uh, never forget the com phone conversation I had many years ago with a young lady. Her brother was a member of our church, and he asked me to call her and talk to her about her homosexual lifestyle. Now, that was a difficult call to make, not the kind that I enjoy doing. I'm not a confronted person at, uh, at all, uh, but I did that, and uh, she was very nice. We had a very cordial conversation. She'd been raised in a Christian home, conservative family. Her lifestyle was obviously causing some conflict within her family, and that's why I'd been asked to call her. And as we talked, she shared several events in her life that had led her to, to her choice of lifestyle, including abuse and abandonment by men. And she said that now she was in a loving relationship that felt right. And I told her, you know, we all know that everything that feels right isn't always right. And I remember trying to think of, a, of an example uh, for her, and, and this is what came to mind. My kids were small back then, and I said, you know, if my kids were riding their bicycles on the paved road instead of on our gravel driveway or in the grass, it, it would certainly feel a lot better uh, on the road than, than in the gravel. I said, but you know, it would be a dangerous place to be. And, and I think she kind of got that. She said, you know, that's a pretty good analogy, and it made her think about how she was living. I don't really think I changed her mind, uh, but it was a mutually respectful conversation that I think both of us appreciated having. You know, I actually wondered uh, how that uh, lady was doing, and so I, I never really knew her, but I spoke with the family uh, just the other day, contact through Facebook, and she told me that this uh, lady had now reconciled with her husband. You know, I've discovered down through time and uh, through conversations that many people are broken. And when we're broken, we search for love and meaning in ways that feel good, but may not be the place that God wants us to be. And so in this series, we're talking about some tough topics, and today we're going to be talking about the topic of homosexuality. And, uh, you know, the first week we talked about addiction, and then, uh, then we talked about political um, issues or, or about uh, patriotism. And then last week, uh, Zach did an amazing job on on uh, social media, but today we're going to be talking about a little more difficult and controversial topic. And I have no doubt that in our room today or listening online, we have people who are on both sides of the issue. And first of all, I want to say this up front, that uh, those who may be struggling uh, with homosexuality, I know the struggle is real. I can identify, I cannot identify with it personally. However, I do know that it is a real struggle, and I'm sorry for attitudes that I've had in the past um, that were probably not the way that Christ would have me to think and act. And so I, I know that maybe I haven't always handled things in the very best way. And like a, a lot of all of us, I've seen people that have handled it even worse with anger and hatred toward gays and lesbians that is repulsive and disgusting. And I believe that God is disgusted with that behavior as well. You probably know that I have spoken out and have struggled in the past with some of the local fairness ordinances, but only from the perspective of how it might affect Christians and churches and their freedom, and never ever from how it could affect or might be needed to protect those who have been or might be discriminated against. I believe it's important to, to distinguish between the two and try to find that balance in an appropriate way because we all need to be able to have the freedoms that our country affords us. But I want you to know that no matter who you are or what your orientation is, to know that you matter to God and that you matter to us as a church. You matter to us and you matter to God. 
And we want to minister to all of our community, regardless of where people are in their, in their journey. And we want to share the message of Jesus Christ with anyone and everyone who will listen. And also know that we expect, and we know, in fact, that we have people who worship with us on a regular basis that are struggling with homosexual feelings and temptations, and also those that are living in homosexual lifestyle. And you know what? We feel good about that. We want people to feel free to come to be a part of our church and understand that we're all on the journey and we're searching, and we want to provide clarity and truth for them. And I realize that some of the things I'm going to say today are probably going to be painful, but I want you to know that they're being said out of love and out of compassion, and I want you to know that they're according to the Bible, which is God's Word, and which is the ultimate truth. And also understand that truth is always painful whenever it, it touches us personally, whether it's about sexual sin, whether it's about gossip, which I want to talk about later in this series as well, about lying, about stealing, whatever it might be, whatever we struggle with, when we confront truth on those issues, it is always going to be a painful experience. And so I want to discuss this, sensi- this topic sensitively, biblically, lovingly, and caringly. Because my goal is not to condemn or hurt anybody, but the goal is to open up hearts to the truth of God's Word, the light of His Word, to bring healing and to speak with love and grace. And so I would ask all of us to open our hearts up today to hear what God might be speaking to us. And I want to begin and ground our message totally in the Word of God. So let's go to God's Word in Genesis chapter 2. In the beginning, the Lord's God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, this is obviously the record of creation, and there are four basic truths, if you will, that we can be learned right here. First of all, is that God created sexual identity. God created sexual identity. This is not something that we've uh, imagined or created or discovered on, you know, and, and projected on ourselves. God created sexual identity. Secondly, God made human beings in that. He made us male and female. And we are very different. We already know that, that we're very different. But we are made for each other. God made male and female to complement one another. He said it was not good that Adam would be alone, and so he made a helpmate, a partner, a mate for Adam, and that was to be Eve. And thirdly, we learn that God also created sexual intimacy, that God created this for man and woman in marriage to experience that. That's the fourth point. God intended that intimacy would be between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. Now, that is God's original creation. And and not to go too deep in this, but God made male and female bodies to fit together and for their coming together to not only reproduce new life, but also for pleasure and companionship for one another. That was God's design. Homosexuality departs from that design and plan as God created it and embraces a same-sex preference for sexual intimacy. Sin, however, is the reason that that even exists today. Sin is what opened up the door to the corruption of God's plan. I'm confident that Adam and Eve never thought about that, never thought about sexual relationship with anyone other than each other until until sin came into the world. 
And from that moment on, all of God's plans, not just the sexual uh, plans, but all of God's plans and designs would be subject to neglect and abuse. And obviously it happened in some way, shape, or form because we began to read about it in the Bible, in Leviticus chapter 18. God says, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman that is detestable. So God spoke to his people and said, that is wrong. And then in the New Testament, Romans chapter 1, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men. Now, there are other verses in the Bible, obviously several of them, but I'm not going to take the time to read all of them exhaustively. But I will tell you this, that every time the Bible speaks of homosexuality, it soundly condemns it, and the passages are never ambiguous, never confusing about what it has to say. There is no internal tension in the Bible about this, and 2,000 years plus of church history has been emphatic that homosexuality is against the will of God. Now, obviously, in our modern culture, people are redefining the view of that view and are changing what the Bible has to say or implying the Bible should be changed. I've had conversations with people who seek to discredit what the Bible really says in a couple of areas that uh, you probably heard yourself. Some argue that the book of of Leviticus, which I read from a few moments ago, also talks about not eating shellfish, about wearing clothes that are made with two kinds of material, or about getting tattoos, which it does. It does speak of that. It also talks about not eating pork, which is obviously a part of most of our diets. But those laws that were given there in that group of laws were obviously cultural laws for the people of Israel. They do not relate to us today. When the Bible talks about homosexuality, it's very clear and consistent in in the Old Testament and the New Testament about what God means and what God thinks of that. I've also heard the argument that homosexuality does not apply to all same-sex relationships, especially those that are monogamous, but only to male-on-male rape or non-consensual sex. Now, that argument, honestly, is kind of ridiculous. It has no biblical or practical basis. really doesn't. We can't redefine a word to imply something that we want to make it imply or mean. We simply can't do that. It's just ways to try to get around what the Bible has to say. I think everyone in our culture knows what homosexuality is by now. And you know what? The Bible throughout, from beginning to end, is totally clear on how God views that. I think the issue is not so much what the Bible says, but instead an unwillingness to acknowledge that. And for many, the issue is that we use our own experiences to determine our view instead of God's Word. In fact, that's not just about this area, it's in a lot of areas. That we don't like what God has to say, and we have different experiences that, that, that replace that. You know, I once talked to a minister that I actually thought, because of his uh, denominational ties and the church he was in, that he was pretty conservative about this, but he told me this. He said, I know what the Bible says, but I'm not sure. And you know, I know I probably say this a lot, 
But anytime you start a sentence like that, you should just stop at the word but, because anything after that is probably not going to be valid, all right? He said, I know what the Bible has to say, but I'm not sure. I knew a guy one time who was gay, and he was a good guy. You know, we're not talking about goodness, people, so that someone's a good person. We're talking about how God views a lifestyle. And many, many people, I think, who have embraced the homosexual lifestyle defend themselves by saying, it's just how I was made. It's how I was made. I'll talk about that in a second here. But I think a lot of people do that because that seems to be the, 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 the easiest path for them. That's the orientation that they may have. They genuinely may have a same-sex attraction orientation. And, and probably I would doubt that anyone set out, sets out to be gay, more than likely. Like none of us would set out to be uh, a particular uh, type of person or committing a sin or a crime in some way. Now, you know, whenever you and I look at this, it's difficult for us to believe that that's a reality, that that's even a normal choice for people to make. But here's the thing, we have to understand that someone else's sin is always disgusting to us, but our own sin is not disgusting to us. Whatever we have, whatever we think is right, it seems like it's okay for us, and we can justify that in a lot of different ways. So we need to be careful that we don't become critical of other people and ignore that we have our own struggles and battles. You know, those people who have studied uh, same-sex attraction have identified some, uh, uh, some influencers, some things in their life that are not conclusive, but they're proven to be present in the lives of many people who, who are homosexual. There's, there's about three of them, and I share these because a couple of them are things that we can control. A couple of them are things that we need to know about. And I would say as Christians, as parents, that these are some areas that we need to be aware of, that we need to guard our children and the, those that we care about from, because if we provide environments, which one of them is an environmental thing, where that, that would lead to this, it, it's kind of on us. We have to make sure that we provide sound teaching and sound environments for our children. And the first one of the uh, influencers is the environment. And that is in a home where there are mismatched parent roles, where there's a very dominant mother, a very passive or, passive or maybe an absent father, where there's a lack of a, of a proper role model in the home, a lot of times the environment just kind of sets the place for someone to, to lean in that direction. And I've seen this before, I'm sure that you have as well, and you just see that, that child coming up and not have the right example that someone ought to be showing them as to how to live and choices to make. The second influencer is experiential. That many have experienced early in their life, early seduction or sexual abuse. And sometimes this is at the hand of a parent, of a trusted friend, or perhaps a relative. And in so doing, sometimes it creates this desire and this need for same-sex affection for someone to have. Or, or maybe interaction with other people who are experiencing their own same-sex attraction. And then, you know, they're kind of, it's almost like a peer pressure thing that the kids begin to hear and talk and think about this and begin to question their own sexuality. Or maybe it might be someone who's testing the waters of puberty and gets involved in, in a, just a bad, un, unfortunate relationship or situation. Some experience that they have that convinced them that they were gay. And then the third influencer is genetic disposition. I mentioned this a few moments ago. There are many people claim to have been born gay. 
And there obviously there's disagreement about this. The evidence is very inconclusive, but there is no medical evidence that supports a gay gene, none whatsoever. However, there obviously is some generic, a genetic disposition toward homosexuality. And, and you know what? That would probably be understandable because as human beings, we all are imperfect. That's how we are made. And we all have dispositions. We're born with certain tendencies, certain orientations in our life. For example, some people, um, all of us are more prone to a particular temptation or a particular way of thinking or lifestyle. Some people might be oriented toward pride or chemical addictions. We talked about that a few weeks ago, the fact that some people, their bodies are just set up that they are easily addicted or even taking a, a drug or a, a alcohol could... Um, could suddenly um, cause them to be addicted to this substance. But also other things might be gambling, slander of others, stealing, lying, rape, or even murder. But you know what? Even though we may have those feelings, say you have a horrible temper, you know, you can't just say, you know, that's just how I am. I can't help it. I was just made that way. I'm just going to do that. I'm going to express myself. I'm going to do whatever I want to people and, and treat people in that way. You see, we're all tempted in different ways. But what's important is not so much where you're tempted, but what you do with that temptation. Nowhere in the Bible does God condemn anyone for being tempted. Jesus himself was tempted. It's not wrong to be tempted. It's not wrong to be tempted with homosexual desire. It's only wrong to be engaged in homosexual practice. And like any other temptation that's outside of God's will, for our lives, we have to resist and run from the temptation. It's not wrong to be tempted in any area. It's what we do with the temptation. We have to resist it. James chapter 1 says, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So he gives the anatomy and the breakdown of a, of a sin. He said it begins with temptation, and we all have those. But it's when we give in and we allow that temptation then to drag us away. And then as soon as full-blown sin, and that gives birth to death. So I can't just act on my temptations or my orientation or what I think just because I'm tempted to, just because I want to, just because it feels right at the time. I have to trust that God has a better way. And when God speaks on something, I have to respect that. You see, God promises that he will give us the strength to resist no matter what the temptation is. First Corinthians chapter 10 says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. A lot of people think this says, the scripture says that God won't put more on you than you can handle, but what it really says is that God will not tempt you in a way that you cannot resist. And if you are tempted, there's always going to be an escape. So if you choose to acknowledge God's will and desire for your life, and you choose to give your temptation to God and you seek his will, you will be given the power to resist that, no matter what the temptation is. God will give you the power to resist. There are many men and women who experience same-sex attraction who are saying no to that, and they're living a pure and a celibate life. Just like there are many straight men and women who experience attraction to those of the opposite sex to whom they are not married and who are saying no to those feelings as well. 
And by the way, just because our government sanctions gay marriage does not mean that God does. Just because the, the, the culture goes that way doesn't mean God's changed anything. Even if a person has a loving, monogamous relationship with someone of the same sex, and even if they're married in the eyes of the law, it is still a violation of God's design and God's will. You know, our culture has become more and more accepting of homosexuality over the last few years, but it doesn't mean that God has changed his mind, his word, or his will. And we just have to acknowledge that in the face of a changing culture. That's why every now and then we have to talk about these things. And we have to remind ourselves what the Bible says. And we have to tell our children what the Bible says because the world is teaching a totally different, um, a, a false message than what God's Word has to say. And you know, our world today is totally confused on the whole sexual identity issue. And in fact, there is a dangerous and anti-scientific trend toward the outright denial of biological sex or the suggestion that the idea of male and female is a social construct. In other words, we just make that up. We, you know, we designed this and it, it didn't necessarily true, but that's, that's anti-scientific. That doesn't even make sense. I, I've read before that there are as many as 37 genders, 37, each of them has their own letter or series of letters. Or I've also heard there's no gender at all. And you know what, one of the things about living in a, in a free country, you can say whatever you want, but the reality is, and scientifically, there are only two sexes, and everyone who is born is one of the two, with the rare exception of those who are born intersex. But even then, they are genetically male or female, and they can figure that out very, very easily. That, what the world is telling us today is just ridiculous, honestly. And we're just believing that and just people are, you know, being nice and kind and, and, and pretending like the emperor doesn't have any, you know, has clothes on and it's not. It's just a, a farce that our, our world is telling us here. You know, one of the most disturbing trends today of our day is gender dyspora. And gender dyspora is when a person's gender identity differs from their birth sex, when they feel like they should be a different sex. Now, now the, the causes of gender dysphoria seems to be the same as homosexuality, environmental experiences, peer pressure, and genetic disposition. And our mixed up culture today is just confusing people more and more who are sincerely searching for identity. I, I don't want to diminish the, the struggle because I know people are dealing with those, those issues realistically, but our mixed up culture is just confusing them more and more. And the most vulnerable are the children who are being taught that sex is grounded in their feelings instead of their biology, that their sex is also their identity. And these children need to be counseled that their true identity is in Christ, not in their gender and not in their feelings about how they feel about themselves. And, and the crazy thing is that many of these children are like five or six years of age up into their early teens. And parents obviously are struggling what to do, but I would say the worst thing a parent could possibly do is to allow their child to choose their own sex and do something drastic like taking puberty blocking hormones or even surgery to change the sex of their child. Not only does that do irreparable harm to the sexual development of the child and sterilize them, but it also, uh, the, the cross-sex hormones can substantially increase the risk of acute cardiovascular events like heart attacks, strokes, 
and deep vein thrombosis. A lot of parents obviously are very concerned, driven to act, fearful that their child might commit suicide, might hurt themselves in some way. But you know, in reality, suicide is a very common thing to those who are transgender. As many as 50% of those who are born female and transition to male have attempted suicide, and 30% of those who are born male and transition to female. Now, I don't want to minimize this because it is an issue in our world. I think our world is just planting the idea in many people's minds and also confusing people. I'm not minimizing the significance of this. I'm saying they need some help, some counsel, but not the kind of actions that are drastic that will ruin someone's life going forward. Many of these children especially come out of this and and kind of regain their balance down the road, but not if they've been drastically affected surgically or with hormones. You know, today, I think we do a lot of damage to people and their future whenever we ignore or we deny empirical fact to be polite or maybe in the name of social accommodation. We do damage to people, not only physically, but even more spiritually, because the more that a person gets twisted in who they are and trying to find their identity in in themselves or sexuality, the less and less do they turn to find out who they are in Christ's eyes. And it's so important that spiritually we give them direction and clarity. So all this kind of leads us to a question here. How do we respond to all of this? How do we respond to that? Well, first of all, let me say that if you have any of these struggles that we've talked about, homosexual or heterosexual, whatever it may be, God will give you help to deal with them in appropriate ways. God will help you deal with them. We're going to see a powerful testimony in a few moments about how God can move into someone's life and and change and transform them completely. But you have to submit to his authority. You have to put yourself into his hands and and be willing to let his, his word, his truth be your truth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, do not be deceived neither the sexual immoral or idolaters nor adulterers nor men who have sex with men nor thieves nor the greedy nor drunkards nor slanderers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So Paul lists a group of people who says they're not going to be in heaven if they're depending on themselves to save themselves. However, they don't get stuck in that. They're not deceived by, the, uh, by their feelings or by the, who they used to be. Understand that God has a standard that he set in creation and that we're going to be judged by someday. And every one of us, maybe you didn't hear any of those things that, that really uh, affect you, but all of us are sinners. And the good news is that we don't have to stay sinners. Did you notice that phrase that that is what some of you were? Adulterers, idolaters, idolaters, homosexuals, drunkards, thieves, uh, sinners of all sorts. That's what some of you and I used to be, but we're not anymore because we were washed, we were sanctified and justified through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're saved and we're no longer like that. And we ought to be grateful that God has done that for us, not proud and arrogant, not critical of everybody else, but just being willing to share that with others. But notice also that Paul says that living these type of lifestyles is not compatible with the Christian life. And I want to say today that we've got to preach that and teach that, but unfortunately there are churches today who are just lying to people about this. And I believe that one day they're going to be held accountable. Leaders will be held accountable 
not having the courage, not having the fortitude, not having the boldness just to say, this is what the Bible has to say. And that's why we have to take a stand for truth. And we have to speak the whole counsel of God, even though it's uncomfortable and it flies in the face of our culture today. Now, how do we respond as Christians to all this? Well, obviously, we can't condone, we can't affirm the behavior, but we can accept the person and love them. And I believe that's what we're called to do. Maybe that's the message that God wants to speak to you today. That we need to be more loving to people who are struggling with these issues, less condemning and more loving to them. And I noted earlier that one of the influences of sexual confusion is a person's experiences with others. And sometimes if a person is rejected over and over again, especially by Christians who ought to be showing love, they may struggle with who they are and what their identity uh, really is found in. So Christians ought to be the first ones to reach out with love and acceptance to people who are searching and hurting and giving them direction, giving them counsel, giving them hope. I read the story a while back about a lady named Rosera Butterfield who was living the lesbian lifestyle until she was befriended by some Christians who loved her and accepted her. And, and through their relationships and later on over time, she left her homosexual lifestyle, became a Christian and acknowledged that she was never really a lesbian at all. She was just looking for identity. She was just looking for love and affirmation and found that, been befriended by the homosexual community. But when she found Christ and discovered her identity in Him, she never looked back at the past. The name of that book, by the way, are The Secret Confessions, Secret Thoughts, I'm sorry, of an Unlikely Convert. Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. When she found Jesus, she discovered <clears throat> that he was everything she'd been looking for, and she discovered who she really was meant to be. But you know what? We don't have to depend on someone far away that we never heard of to be able to give a testimony like that. And I, I mentioned earlier that we have a testimony, and I want to commend uh, this, this lady who's going to be sharing her heart with you a little bit, uh, because we have someone who's just a part of our church family as well that's being been bold enough to say, I want to share what God has done in my life. So take a few moments and watch this video, if you would. Good morning, church. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Kathleen Most. And in 2017, I joined in on Journey's Serve the City Day, and I've been a part of Journey Church ever since. Due to the COVID-19 and being high risk, I was not comfortable being amongst a bunch of people but I knew that this was the time to give my testimony. At age four, my dad died and it had a profound effect on my life. I don't remember much of my upbringing prior to my dad's death, but afterwards it was very dysfunctional with very little love and a whole lot of criticism. I spent my growing up years and most of my adulthood seeking the love that I never had. I married right out of high school, thinking that was the answer, and God blessed me with a beautiful daughter, but the marriage didn't last. I continued seeking love and making choices that took me further and further away from God and led me to what I now refer to as my prior life. I entered into a homosexual relationship, seeking the love and knowing that this was the answer. It wasn't the answer and it only added more confusion to an already confused life. In 2002, I made total commitment to God and gave him 100% control over my life. 
I was baptized and was raised out of that water a whole new person with a whole new identity and a whole new life. All feelings of homosexuality were gone and I have never looked back. God's love for me has always been unconditional and he never gave up on me. He always kept trying to bring me home. And with the help of a neighbor who, irregardless of my lifestyle, took me in, did Bible studies with me, and talked with me about God, I got to a point where I knew that God is what I needed but I also could not figure out how that was gonna work with everything that I was feeling. Not wanting heterosexual relationships, not working with homosexual relationships. Where did I go? I prayed to God, I argued with God, I bargained with God, telling him this is never gonna work. And he just kept saying, trust me, trust me, trust me. In 2002, I became baptized. And it was a leap of faith that I am so glad I took. The best news I can give today is that God will do this for everyone, no matter the situation. If your commitment is 100% and your change is 100%, God will do this for you. Pray, ask him for help and guidance, commit your life to him, take that huge leap of faith, and you will never regret it. I am Kathleen Most, and this is my ongoing journey with God. You know, I've known uh, Kathleen since uh, 2017, and she shared early in our friendship uh, that she had a testimony that she wanted to share at some point to help other people. And you know, it takes a lot of courage to do something like that. And if you know Kathleen, you need to reach out and give her some encouragement and some praise and uh, just say good job and, and say thank you. I would encourage you to do that. Uh, she is not with us, she's online uh, usually. I, maybe you've seen her, her name there, but uh, she's a beautiful lady who loves the Lord. And, and lives exactly this. This is her testimony. That's what God can do in our hearts. He can change us and take away all the desires that are contrary to his will, and not just the sexual issues, but anything else. He is just that big and that great. And this morning, if you're here and you're struggling with any issue, I'd love to talk to you about that. We don't have to do it right here today, but we can set up a time uh, to just talk and, and, and see what counsel God could give you in your life to help you take your next step on your journey.